0: Amen. Thank you, Don. If you will turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 28, 16. This is a familiar passage of Scripture, I think, to many of you. And we're in between sermon series here. If you're new for us, by the way, typically we preach through a book of the Bible. um, But right now we're kind of in between. And so today we're going to look at a passage that is called the Great Commission. Again, familiar to many of you. But I want to frame it in such a way that maybe you have not considered before. And I'm indebted to another pastor. His name's Joseph Spurgeon, not Charles, Joseph. But I'm indebted to him uh, for for this framework, for showing me this framework of how we can think about the Great Commission in a way that we look at the all statements, the always statements in this commission, because there are several. And it's a good way to think about this Great Commission— in a new light, in a way that maybe you haven't read it before, because I'm guessing many of you have. So we'll look at these all statements in the Great Commission. We'll think about how Jesus has given us a mission as the church and as his people, but he's also equipped us, and he's empowered us, and he's prepared us to fulfill and to go and do this mission. Because Jesus is king, that's going to be the main idea here over all of this, and the king has essentially drawn up a battle plan for this era, for this church age, the last 2,000 years and beyond. But it's a plan, as we'll see here in this commission, for how the earth will be subdued and overcome by the beautiful power of the message of Jesus. So it's a plan of conquest in a sense, and it's the message that Jesus saves. Jesus saves those who repent, those who turn away from sin and evil, and look toward him And so what we're going to get today, it's the overall big picture of the battle plan, and it's the picture of what all Christians are to accomplish together as his church, all of us even, as the Way Fellowship Church. And it's not going to give you any of the little details as to your specific assignments. Those can vary. You need to go before God in prayer for some of that, for some of those smaller details, but we're going to get the big picture. And I don't think, honestly, we need to know every minuscule detail of what God's plan is Before we follow him, we're just called to follow and to step out in faith and go on what we do know, which we'll see here in this passage. And before we read it, I want you to consider if this is the battle plan that that God has given us for our, our time here on this earth as the church. There's some differences between it and other battle plans You know, unlike most human battle plans, this is one that guarantees victory. There's no chance of failure. There's no chance of defeat. And so remember that when you're in the moment, when you're despairing, when you're disappointed because maybe something didn't go the way you thought it would. Someone didn't come to faith when you hoped they would. When you're struggling to share Jesus, there is a guarantee of victory with this plan. So read with me the Great Commission. I want to start in verse 16. We're going to read verse 16 through 20 today of Matthew 28. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Beautiful, beautiful passage, beautiful commission, beautiful marching orders. But the thing here that I really want to start with, because this is, I feel, the part that we actually tend to skip over the most, but I think it's actually the most important part, and that's in verse 18 where he says, All authority. All right, so we're going to look at the all statements. The first one is all authority. And I want to submit to you to think about this is the most important one. This is the one on which everything else is based. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word authority? When you think of someone in a position of authority, maybe governmental official, police officer, a parent is an authority. But we see here that Jesus is saying all authority has been given to me, to him. He has that authority. And so then we ask the question, <clears throat> Well, okay, if Jesus has all authority, how did Jesus receive all the authority? Well, what did he, what did he do? Because no doubt, <clears throat> I think Jesus had a great deal of authority from his very first moments. Incarnate as an infant, he always had a level of authority. However, it does seem as though the father was holding something back from giving him full authority until his earthly task was finished. <clears throat> excuse me, until it was accomplished. Because you think about it. Okay, Jesus comes incarnate as a baby. There's some, some things there that he's not doing at first for those first 30 years. But then he comes walking the earth in humility. He doesn't flaunt his divinity. He doesn't show it off. He's not doing these miracles for attention per se. And he doesn't live in royal courts. He doesn't have great wealth. He doesn't have an earthly army. Now, none of this is his purpose, But he goes and he dies a sinner's death, a death he doesn't deserve on the cross, and he's buried in the grave. But, the big but, is his resurrection from the grave changes everything. The way he now exercises his authority would be different than before. So I want to propose to you that the grave, the the resurrection, is a changing moment in terms of Jesus and his authority and the way he exercises his authority. The resurrection is the time of the revelation, you might say, the revealing of his divine authority. It's his validation. You could think of it as a coronation of the ultimate king, his, his being sworn in, his coronation ceremony. Have some of you, have you ever seen a coronation ceremony? You remember about a year, year or two ago, I can't remember exactly when, the king of England was coronated. Didn't any of you see that? They have this great big old ceremony. Uh, for King Charles, this great ceremony where he makes vows that he's going to defend the kingdom and honor the kingdom, and the kingly privileges are given to him. Well, I think that's what was happening here with, with Jesus at his resurrection. At his coronation or his resurrection, Jesus is given the privilege of having all authority in heaven, he says, and all authority on earth. And so this revelation in his resurrection is showing us who is he? Who is this guy really? He has all authority. And so when God the Father comes, he shows his approval of the work that Jesus did on the cross by rising him from the grave, and he shows that Jesus accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. He saved us from our sins. He satisfied God's wrath against sin, and he makes atonement. He gets it done. He finishes. And this is when Jesus goes He asks the Father, and the Father gives him all authority. Now, there's a lot of different elements of this that I want to think about, okay? When we think about authority, because this is the most important, and this is going to frame everything you are called to do. You are called to do something in light of what Jesus has done and the authority he has. So Jesus is given the authority even over death. He proves that in his resurrection victory over the grave. After all, think about the timing. When does Jesus give the Great Commission? After his resurrection. But, importantly, it's not just the resurrection. Okay, so the resurrection is his coronation, I want to say. It's his coming in as the king, as all authority on him. But, importantly, what does Jesus do after he resurrects and gives the Great Commission? He ascends. He ascends up into heaven. And so he's ascending. And we see in Scripture, Peter says that he was seated at the right hand of God, which this is the seat of all power, all authority. In Acts 2.33, it says, Therefore, since he, thats Peter's talking about Jesus here, he says, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so Peter's saying here, Jesus has the power and authority by virtue of where he is now seated, which is at the right hand of God, the hand of power. And so Jesus being seated there means all his enemies are subjected to him. They have to do what he says. Whatever limited authority had once been given to Satan is now being withdrawn, and it's being taken away following Jesus' victory over the grave and exaltation to the right hand of God the Father. Jesus' authority is supreme. And so we're told this, he has all authority, and you think about what does that mean then for us here? What does that mean for your life and for the commission he's given us? Well, it means There's no area that's off limits to what he can control and what he can do. He can do whatever he wants because he has full, complete power. And we're told, it says here, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven. And we kind of instinctively understand that. We're like, oh yeah, okay, he has all authority in heaven. And we recognize that the heavens belong to him. That's his realm. But here's the, here's the part we don't understand. Do we also realize that Jesus said, I have all authority on earth? Did you catch that? He's not saying, I have all authority in heaven alone. He's saying, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And so do you believe that? Do you believe that he has all authority on earth? And do you believe that earth is just as much under his control as heaven is? I think that's very important to remember, to be assured that he has power here. Nothing can thwart him. But now, I want to back up in light of all this, explaining Jesus' authority, and I want to look at how this great commission, this passage in Matthew, is actually the fulfillment of an earlier mandate Jesus gave, or that God gave, way back in the book of Genesis. See, in the book of Genesis... God gives Adam a divine mission to rule over the earth and to care for the earth. He says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls upon the earth. So God gives that mandate to Adam and you could sometimes call this the creation mandate, right? the creation mandate, people are called to go and to subdue the earth through having this great population, through having many children, and then they farm, they fish, they hunt. We do all these things, and the earth is subdued under the people. But here's the connection that I think exists here between this passage and between the Great Commission. What if, what if the Great Commission is actually a continuation of this. What if the Great Commission is a continuation of God's glorious design to subdue the earth, all for his own glory? What if these things are connected in that way? The Great Commission is kind of the next step to this. See, this time, God's not commanding us to subdue the earth with people. That was the first command here given to Adam. He's commanding us, I would submit to you to think about, to subdue the earth with the people of God, right? So it's not just have lots of people on the earth, it's have lots of God's people on the earth, those who believe. And so we're called to be fruitful and multiply, but we're called to be fruitful and multiply other believers. That's the idea there, and that's, I think, the connection here. How then are we to view this creation mandate to subdue the earth? I think this creation mandate given in Genesis is fulfilled in its fullest sense when we fulfill the Great Commission. When we go do what God has called us to do in making disciples. Because see, when, when Adam was given this creation mandate, okay, think back to Adam. God told him to do this, and he was actually still in a state of perfection and holiness. He hadn't sinned yet. But given this, Adam did go, and he did fill the earth with people. That's for sure. He did subdue the earth. He did hunt and fish. But... He didn't fill the earth with holy people, as was God's original intent. He filled the earth with sinners, with people broken and still made in the image of God, but cut off from God, cut off from the original purpose when God gave that mandate. And so the Great Commission is bringing it back all together. Jesus is fixing this problem of we're filling the earth now with holy people, with those who belong to God, as was the original purpose here in this mandate. So Jesus is fixing the problem. That Adam created by his sin. He's forging a new creation, a recreation, you might say. We've talked a lot about recreation the last few weeks. He's he's recreating and he's going to multiply his people throughout the earth. But the first step is the Father, God the Father, empowers the Son. He gives all authority to Jesus and he says, Now you have all authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus takes that authority. He uses it to reign over the earth, to rule over the earth, and to subdue the earth for the glory of God. And how will Jesus subdue the earth? By growing his people through the Great Commission. And so the earth is slowly being subdued. And you could think of this as just the growth of the church, the growth of the kingdom. This has been happening for 2,000 years. When we read this Great Commission, you saw how many guys went with him there? 11. There were 11 of them. and There were some other disciples too. There were more than 11, but it was just a small handful of people. And we've gone from this small handful of people who were given this plan to subdue the earth into hundreds of millions of disciples here today. And so this is the battle plan God has given us going forward. Subdue the earth through this great commission, through this creation mandate. Now, that's easier said than done. Some of you might be thinking, well, okay, that's that's good. I recognize Jesus is commanding me to make disciples and to go subdue the earth in the sense of creating a Christian world, but you're thinking, okay, but I'm kind of scared. I'm too scared to go share Jesus. What if it doesn't go well? What if I'm rejected when I go do that? Well, think about this. We've been called to go and execute this battle plan to do it, but it's our great comfort that again, Jesus has all authority, and we can take comfort in that. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to be worried. He has all authority. And so if you consider, what's the difference between this and an earthly battle plan? Well, a general here on earth, right? A general on earth might draw up his plan for for an engagement, and that plan might succeed, and it might fail. You know, I remember, I think back to to D-Day, right, in history. You have General Eisenhower, He draws up his plans for this great amphibious landing, you know, the largest landing in history. And he draws up these plans and he does everything he can to get every detail right. But he knows that that plan, as much as he prays for it, could fail, right? He's praying and planning that it will succeed but he's knowing that it might fail. And by the way, he even wrote a little letter in case it failed, in case the invasion's defeated. He writes this letter. And so he knows, okay, my plan has a great chance of success, but it also has a chance of failure. Well, that's not the way with this Great Commission, is it? There is no chance of failure. We've been handed these marching orders, and we've been given this this plan that is 100% certain to succeed. And that is the difference it will succeed. We don't have to leave the outcome to chance. It's not maybe we'll win, maybe we'll lose. And so for you, the person that you go and share Jesus with, they may come to faith, they may not come to faith, and it's not really for you to decide. But what is for you to decide, what is for you to think about, is whether you'll be faithful or whether you'll be disobedient to this commission that Jesus has given you. So you can be faithful in telling or you can be disobedient in telling. But that's it. Jesus makes the final call. And so, let's say you go share Jesus with someone. Let's say you go talk to your friend, and they reject him. They reject Jesus. Well, does that in any way hold back the battle plan or the victory of God's kingdom? No, it doesn't. The plan rolls forward, the kingdom moves forward. And that's the good news. We can take comfort and peace in that. Because there's nothing anyone or anyone can do, To make this plan fail. You can't just foil God's plan because you yourself are stubborn, right? We can't fail, we can't foil it. No one who opposes God can foil it. And so it will succeed. Therefore, here's what I want to challenge you to do. When you go to witness, have that peace in your heart. Have that peace in your heart, knowing that the victory is already won. Jesus has already done what none of us could. And I hope that that knowledge would bring you a great measure of comfort and peace and joy in knowing that it is done, that Jesus has done what we could not and we can't lose. And so when we go into a gospel conversation and we're worried and we're afraid about what's going to happen, I think the reason for that is we've forgotten who has all authority. We forget that he has all the authority and then we start to get scared. And so remind yourself. Who has all the authority? Jesus has it all. And does it? Does that show in your life? Do you believe that? Does that make a difference in what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? You know, Jesus looks out over all creation. He looks out at all the world, all the heavens, and all the earth, and he proclaims it to be his. He has the authority. So when you go to proclaim Jesus, as that's going to be the challenge this week, is well, I should say, will you go in such a way that you are comforted and at peace in doing that? In knowing that success or failure does not depend upon you, success has already been granted by Jesus no matter what happens. So that's number one. That's the most important one. That's why I want to spend the most time on it. Jesus has all the authority, and that is the framework for our great commission. But then we read on, and it says in verse 19, Go therefore... Therefore, because he has all the authority, go now and make disciples of all nations. So that's number two. What are we called to make? Who are we called to make disciples of? All nations. The gospel is for everyone, not just a certain ethnic group, not just a certain type of people. If you go back to verse 16, it says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee. All right? They go to Galilee to, to receive this great commission from Jesus. And that's kind of, it's a little detail, and it's easy to miss. But think about this. I I think the fact that it's given in Galilee is actually kind of important. Okay, where do Jesus' death and resurrection, where does that all take place? In Jerusalem. And where does his ascension take place? It's in Jerusalem. So why do you have this little stopover in Galilee in between? I think this is symbolic of the intent to take the gospel to all nations, right? That it's no longer just a Jerusalem thing, it's no longer just a Jewish thing, but the gospel is going to all nations. Isaiah 9, speaking of uh, Galilee, look look at how Isaiah refers to Galilee here. He says, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's Galilee. You go look at the map of where ancient those tribes were located. They're the Galilean tribes. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. This area, he calls it the Galilee of the nations, or your translation might say the Galilee of the Gentiles. So this is a mixed region ethnically it kind of always had been much more multicultural than Jerusalem. You have lots of Jewish cities there, but you also have Roman cities, fortified Roman towns with foreign populations and then you've got Samaria right next door and you've got Tyre right next door. And so this is a much more multicultural region. And if you think about in the Old Testament, you have Jerusalem. And the Judaism in the Old Testament is kind of a come-and-see religion. It's come to Jerusalem, see what God is doing, integrate into Israel. When you follow God, you integrate into the people, and it all happened there in that little spot. But now Jesus is changing that. And he's bringing it from a, from a come-and-see religion into a go-and-tell idea where we move beyond Jerusalem and we go on this idea of world conquest. It's not just Jerusalem anymore. It's Galilee into the Gentile nations. Gentile means all people who are not Jews. There's no longer a central temple. We're moving out. And so giving this commission in Galilee, I think, is a great way to illustrate that Jesus is for all nations, that Jesus' offer of salvation goes to all people. Those of every country on earth, every group, no matter who they are, this offer of salvation is for them. And I think that's why he goes to Galilee. Because why else? Why else you know, be resurrected in Jerusalem, travel up to Galilee, give this commission, travel back to Jerusalem to ascend? I think that's part of the reason why. And so Jesus comes. He holds all authority to make the disciples in all nations. And this word for nations is ethnos. What does that sound like to you? Ethnic, right? An ethnic group. It sounds like the word ethnicity, ethnic group. You could call that a people group. That's the words that they like to use in missionary jargon, right? A people group, an ethnic group, an ethnos. And so Jesus has given this call to go and make disciples of all ethnos. And there are two different ways we can think of that task. Okay, so I'm going to give you two ideas here when it comes to all nations, and I think both of these have a lot of validity to them. These are both good ways of thinking about this commission to all nations. First is a directive to ensure that the good news news of Jesus reaches every corner of the world. It's to get to all the different people. The idea is that we'll see individuals from the various nations becoming disciples of Jesus from this country and that country and that country and that country all over the world. But then the second way of thinking about this, which I also think has a lot of validity, is that we can think of this in the sense of nations themselves becoming increasingly Christianized and the nation as a whole being discipled and growing in the knowledge of Jesus. The idea being that more and more people from a particular nation are saved, and so in that nation you have a growing Christian conscience within the cultural thought of that nation, that people group. And so there's a lot of truth to that as well. And so we're called to do both, to go and ensure the gospel reaches every corner of the world. And then we see societies naturally transformed as a result of that gospel flourishing and growing in the hearts of those people. Now, I want to read a psalm here that emphasizes that Jesus received all the nations as his kingly inheritance. And this is what makes Jesus the grave um, and earned him the power and the authority. It's Psalm 2, and this is a prophecy. Remember, this is written hundreds of years before Jesus. But I think it's very relevant to this idea here of all the nations. Psalm 2, 8 through 9. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter, and you will shatter them like pottery. That is a powerful scripture. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. That's talking about Jesus, right? The nations are the inheritance of Jesus. And of course, he went and he asked and he received. And surely we've witnessed in our era, in our time, that Jesus is collecting his inheritance, right? The number of Christians in most nations has risen very rapidly over the last few hundred years. And so Jesus is calling in that inheritance. Psalm 86, 9 also speaks to this. It says, all the nations that you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and they will honor your name. All these nations, this will happen. Remember, this commission is is assured. The victory is assured. It will happen. And so what a great victory Jesus has won. He claims the nations as his inheritance. And then in light of all this, in light of his authority, in light of our call to go make disciples from all people groups, from all nations, he says, you're too baptize. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What do you do? The first thing is you baptize them. So in light of all this, the commission is not something we engage in timidly. It's something we go and do. Jesus is the king. He's sending us out as his ambassadors to proclaim that he has authority, all nations belong to him, and therefore you will be baptized. And so we do this by baptizing them. That's that's the symbol, right? That's the symbol of our union with Christ. Our union with Christ in his death and in his burial and in his resurrection. And perhaps there's some of you here, I don't know, who need to consider what it means to be baptized. That is the step, the call of the disciple. You say, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I believe in him. I trust in him. Well, then what are we called to do? Be baptized, as his disciples should be. Because if you're a disciple of Jesus, you can identify with him that way. Identify with Jesus by taking on that step, of being baptized. And every baptism is joyful. Every baptism is amazing because it represents another step forward in this great commission advance. As it's going, as the gospel goes to all nations, the baptism of each individual person symbolizes progress, right? Another step forward, another step forward, another person following Jesus, another person from this nation and that nation and that nation and that nation coming under the banner of Jesus. And so it's a symbol of Jesus' victory not only in your life, but in the greater kingdom. And so in this season of our lives, let's think about ourselves then. Okay, we're called to go make disciples of all nations, but here you are in the United States. And so you're called to make disciples of this nation. And we have a huge task set before us. Let's not underestimate it. Let's not pretend it's a small task. No, no deal. It's big. But making disciples of all nations is a lifelong task for us. This commission it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? Don't wear yourself out in the first 5 minutes because you jumped out of the starting gate like like a little rabbit, you know. I like to watch we go and watch Nathan's cross country races this year, right? And what do all the little 3rd graders do right at the beginning? And then a few minutes later, you know, and they're huffing it because they don't know how to pace themselves. They're just little speeders, and they're going to run out. I'm going to, uh you know, and they're ahead for the first five seconds. But it doesn't matter at the end because they die out, right? So pace yourselves. This commission is a marathon. It's a lifelong investment, and it's something that God will do in you throughout your life. So for you, I want you to ask yourself this. Are you praying that God would use you to make a disciple? Are you praying, God, use me to make disciples today? And who do you think that disciple might be? Who is the person God is calling you to make a disciple of? We'll come back to this idea at the end. The next thing, though, I want to emphasize. Jesus has all authority. We're called to disciple all nations. But then, he says, we are also called to follow all commands. Verse 20, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity, by the way. But verse 20, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. You could say teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, all commands. And so we're called to do everything he says, to be obedient, and also to teach others to be obedient. And so every part of our lives is called to be brought into conformity with Jesus with what he wants, in order to make this mission happen, in order to go and to make the disciples. And we're to submit everything to Jesus. We don't pick and choose. We give him all, and he is Lord and ruler over everything we do. He controls it all, and he gives the commands. He reigns supreme. He tells us how to live. And oftentimes, the mistake we make is we think we give the commands. But again, if we're going to go back to that analogy of a, a battle plan and a general, he's the general. So he gives the commands, all right? And these commands he gives to us are good and valuable, and we've got to treasure them. And sometimes we just, we don't always treasure them. We see God's commands and we see them as like some kind of burden or, ah, oh, there's just one more thing I have to do. But I think as the Holy Spirit works in our lives and empowers us, we will treasure God's commands. John 14, 15. Listen to this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands i will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever that's the holy spirit right and the holy spirit is the one who's helping us to do this who's helping us to follow these commands because he's made us to love god and so so often he's given us this command to go share jesus with someone and we are disobedient we don't do it what can we do what can we do but repent Repent and ask for the Holy Spirit to move us, change us, help us to obey his commands. Because following his commands brings joy, it brings peace. That is the way to live. And so are you up for that challenge to do the things he's called you to do? You don't have to go off to a foreign land to fulfill this commission, although you could and many people should. But you don't have to go off to another country. The mission is about being obedient wherever you go in your daily work, in your daily life. So so make these commands of Jesus. Make them the fixed benchmark in your life. This is what he has given you to do here and now in this time. And so make these commands a fixed benchmark. Cling tightly to his word, love his commands, and you'll be blessed beyond all imagination, and that will propel you forward in his mission of making disciples. Easier said than done, and that's why we've got to understand repentance when we fail, that we repent. But the question for you to think about is, do you love Jesus and do you love his commands? Following him means following his commands. Making disciples means following his commands and teaching others to do the same. And then here's the last thing. He's got all authority. We're called to go disciple all the nations, follow all the commands. And this last one he says, surely I will be with you always the ends of the age. So that one's a little cheat. It's cheating. It's not quite at all. Almost, right? Always. Because we need Jesus with us always to accomplish the mission. This is our comfort. The task ahead of us to make disciples, it's a dangerous one. It's a colossal task. It's not easily done. If you think over, over history, how many countless Christian disciples have given their lives in the service of King Jesus? So many. So many have given their lives and still continue to do so today. And so this is a dangerous task, and this is a colossal task. Look what Paul says happened to him in 2 Corinthians. Just think about this for a minute. Look look what happened to him in his proclamation of the gospel because he was so passionate about fulfilling this commission. This is what he got as a result. He says, five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews, 39 lashes, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing." So that's what he got for fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that that makes me feel pretty... I've got off pretty easy, haven't I? I mean, maybe I get the occasional insult or or the middle finger, and that's like the worst of it. Um, I don't get any of this. So um, I think we're pretty blessed in that sense. But despite that, we too have to be willing to put ourselves in danger to accomplish the commission right? The mission of Jesus has to be more important than our lives. If you go back again to the disciples here, Jesus charges this poor, ragged little band of disciples with taking over the world. I mean, seriously, put yourself in their shoes. There's 11 guys standing on a mountain, and Jesus says, you're going to go make disciples of all the nations. What's your thought process? <laughs> what? That's insane. Jesus, there's eleven of us. We're a bunch of kids. We're a bunch of teenagers. What are we gonna do? Are we gonna be able to make disciples of all the nations? That's silly. I mean, you'd have thought this was an insane statement, right? If they, they know that they, they know Jesus, so they're not thinking, okay, this is totally insane. They're probably going with it. But like, if you just heard someone say this, and and it's you don't know that this is Jesus and that he has all authority, right? If you just heard that statement. You're going, go, you're going to go make disciples of all the nations, you 11 guys. You, you'd think that's the stupidest thing you've ever heard. you say, that's never going to happen. You're just a raggedy little group of kids in, in Galilee. Never going to happen. Now, 2,000 years later, we have a little different perspective. We're like, okay, yeah, that's that's doable. This mission makes sense. It's accomplishable because we can see the progress that's already been made throughout the centuries. And so, we have to remember that in this mission, okay, it looks more possible now than it did 2,000 years ago, but it's always impossible apart from the power of God. It doesn't matter if there's millions of us or 11 of us. It's always impossible apart from the power of God. And that's why we're told Jesus will be with you always. He will be with you always because without him, this commission makes no sense. And so in verse 20 there he told us I'll be with you always. And and what a comfort this is that Jesus comes and he stands alongside us. And he does this with us. He sends us out with this incredible battle plan to accomplish this incredible commission. But even in that he doesn't send us alone. He sends us with him, with his spirit, with Jesus himself. You know, Jesus himself, one of the names, Jesus has a lot of titles, but one of the names for him is Emmanuel. That comes through Isaiah, but the name Emmanuel means God with us. And it serves as a reminder that he is with us always. When God sent Israel to conquer the promised land all the way back in the book of Joshua, he told them, I'm giving you this task to go and kill, but I will be with you always. Joshua 1 9, he says, Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He didn't send Israel alone. He doesn't send us alone. He walks with us. He's with you always, not just sometimes, not just when you feel well, not just when you remember to ask Him. God is with you always. So, when you're struggling to share the gospel with a friend, Jesus goes with you. When you're discouraged, when you feel inadequate, when you feel scared, when you feel unprepared for the task at hand, Jesus goes with you. When you're under a threat, when you're under danger, Jesus goes with you. In light of that, will you remind yourself that Jesus stands with you today? Will you not be afraid of the task ahead? Because Jesus goes with you always. It's not something you do alone. It's not something I do alone. We do it together, but more importantly, we do it with Jesus all alongside us. And so that brings us to our conclusion today, to our truth, to the big idea here in this passage. The central truth, King Jesus is with his church in the mission of making disciples. And I specifically put the word King Jesus because, again, he has all authority on heaven and on earth. And so King Jesus is with you, his people, you, his church, in the mission of making disciples. He has authority over all the earth, and he's given us a job that cannot fail. In Isaiah 9, he says this. and You're familiar with this. This is the passage Speaking of the prophecy of when Jesus will come. He says, For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen to this though. The dominion will be vast. The dominion will be vast. And its prosperity will never end. He will reign reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Did you notice it doesn't say you, the people, will go accomplish this. Who accomplishes this? The zeal of the Lord of armies. God himself accomplishes this, and his dominion will be vast He will reign on the throne of this eternal kingdom. So the mission isn't accomplished by you. It's kind of a paradox, isn't it? You've been told to go do this thing, but it's not you that accomplishes it. It's accomplished by God himself, by his zeal, his heart for saving people, for drawing people out of sin and into salvation. And so we can trust in that. We can go out then with great joy as we serve our king. So this is the battle plan. The battle plan is issued. We can't fail. Let's make disciples. So I want to bring it then in contextually to what I want to ask you to do today. And this is going to be a little bit different. So some of you, you've, you've picked up on, we've been putting this in the bulletin for the last few weeks, but the call to response is going to be this. Okay, It's going to be an interactive call to response. Choose one person, that you will begin praying for and invite to church on Easter. Now, some of you guys are, are new, you're guests today, so you don't have to necessarily participate. Although, if God lays it on your heart, go ahead, participate. But for the rest of us, that is the call to response. Choose one person you will begin praying for and invite to church on Easter. So this is as simple as it gets. Your, your task is to Pray. That's it. Pray, and then go and make the invite. Because again, like I said, you can't control if your friend will actually come to church or not, but you can control if you'll commit to pray for them or not. You can decide to pray or not to pray, and then you can decide if you're going to extend the invitation or not. And I want you to pick someone who's far from Jesus, right? You've been hopefully now for a few weeks thinking about this person and praying about this person Who has God put in your life who is far from Jesus? And you need to pray for that person, and you need to invite them. And so we've made it as easy as possible, right? If you get the chance to go share Jesus, you do that too. But this is like even pre-commission, right? This is like prayer, an invitation to church. This is like the stuff leading up to it. And so Jesus has given us this commission that can't fail. Will you be part of it, or will you not? What we're going to do is, I want everyone to have a prayer guide. Okay, so you hopefully got one of these when you came in. Did everyone get one of these? If you didn't, would you raise your hand real quick if you didn't get one of these? And Eric's going to pass them out. Daniel needs one. Anyone else need one? Everyone else got one? You didn't? Okay, a couple up here. Everyone else got one. Awesome. Good job. Good job, uh, greeters out there. You did an awesome job. I thought we were going to miss a bunch of people. So, You get one of these, all right? Now, this is a prayer guide, and it has 30 days of prayer in it. So you have 30 days of guided prayer in here. They're really nice. Um, It gives you scripture and and things to pray over each day. But does anyone know what day of the month, what, what day is Easter this year? Who remembers? It's March 31st. So you have 30 days of prayer for someone For one person. So starting March 1st, you can pray now too. You can pray today too. I hope you would. But starting March 1st, we as a church are going to go through this together. And every day we're going to pray for that person, that one person God has laid on your heart and mind. And maybe God's given you more than one person. Like, hey, you want to pray for two, three, four, five, six people and invite them all, do it. But there's got to be at least one, right? There's got to be at least one person that you can pray for. And so We'll send out some emails. We'll talk more about this on Friday. Friday is March 1st, but this is something we can all do together, and we all have our each individual person that we pray for, but we all do it together as a church. So what I'm going to ask you to do now, to, to close us up in this way, is I'm going to pray for us, but then I'm going to have... Three people also come up and pray for us. Eric's going to come up and pray for the men of the church. Leslie's going to pray for the women of the church. And John is going to pray for the children of the church. All right, So the children are going to participate too. And then after that, we're going to have a few minutes where just you can pray to yourself. All right, Carrie's going to come up here and maybe strum the guitar at that point. You can pray to yourself. And what I want you to do, you got this little card in here, right? So while you pray, put the name of the person... God put on your mind, and as we have a time of silent prayer, you come up, drop your card in the offering plate, right? And this is just a, it's just a symbol, right? There's nothing holy about throwing a card in an offering plate, but it's a symbol of your commitment to pray. Because, guys, that is the most important thing, and that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray for 30 days in a row. Do you guys think you can do that? Can you pray for 30 days in a row for one person day after day after day that God would work in their hearts, work in their minds to draw them to salvation, to draw them to church on Easter on a day when they can hear a gospel message, they can hear about the glory, the great things that Jesus has done for them to save them from their sins. All right. So I'm going to pray for us, and then Eric, Leslie, and John are going to pray, and then... At that point, you pray and bring your cards up and drop them in, all right? Let's go before God. Lord, we, we come before you, and today, uh, Lord, we have an opportunity to pray. And Lord, we just confess that there are times when we don't pray enough. Uh, we forget, we, Lord, we distance ourselves from you. We step back and we don't remember that you are our great king and that you have all authority, And so, Lord, today I pray for that person you've put in our hearts and minds. May you begin drawing them to yourself, drawing them to salvation. But, Lord, more than anything, I pray that we would each be found faithful to pray. Lord, help us to overcome the hurdles and obstacles and to come before you every day in prayer. I ask that you would just receive our prayers, Lord, as glorifying to you, as honoring to you and to your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would be magnified in all that we do, that Jesus would be magnified, the Holy Spirit would be magnified, and you would be made glorious here on this earth because you have all authority. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Father, I want to pray for the men of the church. Lord, that we would embrace this challenge, that we would find someone... That you're placing on our hearts, that we would pray for that person every day, that we can be leaders within this church, within our families, within our homes, that we can show what it means to take this, that it seriously to lead our whether it be leading our families in prayer for each of our ones each night, or our friends, whichever grouping you've put us in, Lord i just pray that as men we would be we would take lead we would take point and that we would each seek out who you are placing on our hearts pray for them and invite them here
2: dear lord jesus almighty god we come before you lord Pray for the women's ministry. I pray that you will help us to learn, to show our love to our neighbors, to our friends. Show them the love that you have shown us and taught us from the Bible. Show them that, that your world is so much nicer than the, than the one that they live in. Show, help us to share your, your, your word. Help us to step out in faith and invite somebody and let you do the rest. I pray, Lord, that you will give our women courage, give them the love, for they are compassionate. Let them show their love to those around them, and invite their friends, family, or neighbors. We ask this in your holy name.
3: Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you praying over the children of this church. Lord, we just pray as you have said in Luke 18 chapter or verse 16 and 17 but Jesus called to them and said let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God truly I say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not inherit it lord let us see and experience the and experience the greatness and the beauty of what it means to just be a child of God and to have that childlike faith as we just step into your presence. Lord, I pray over the children that they may be able to step out and have courage and strength as they see their mom and they see their dad step out in faith as they choose their one. Lord, may this be a wonderful time of conversation and an opportunity to disciple those within the home. Lord, that these children, that they may ask and seek answers for what it means to truly say, God, I want to follow you. And God, I want to share with others about you. So Lord, we just lift up these children, Lord, that you may work in their hearts mightily as you just work and continue to move in our lives as parents, as leaders, as teachers, as just men and women within this church. Lord, as your church, we come before you as children de- desiring Abba Father for you to come and just be, accept us, Lord, and transform us and mold us. Lord, we surrender this all to you, Lord, as we just pray over this next 30 days. Lord, may you work in each and every single one of our lives. Lord, give us that childlike faith. Let us step out in boldness for the commission that you have called us to do in your authority. In
0: Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take a few minutes now to pray as yourself, uh, silently, and then come, put your name in the offering basket, and then in a few minutes, Carrie will lead us in song. So let's take a few minutes to pray.